union that we're seeing right now. And it's it's probably never been more obvious than this moment or maybe when I first started seeing all these cars I didn't know pull up. And I thought, man, this is really cool. This is really neat. And a bunch of you have known each other for a long time. Um, and so it's fun to see reunions and stuff happening like that. But um, there's just something really significant about the joining of, of um, not that we haven't been joined, but the, I don't know, another link, another another uh, additional connection. And, and uh, with that in mind, and he's going to share uh, what he's going to share, but it's really our honor to to have Eric with us this morning and to just um, kind of re- in my in my mind representing you guys and um, representing the kind of joint thing that's that's going on and it's super exciting for me about um, just for the future and what um, is coming from Mount Chapel. It's just really I can feel the I don't know even how to describe it buzz maybe. The, just this vibration of the kingdom coming close. And uh, it's just a blast. It's like, it's funny. No, I'm not going to say that. So, are <laughs> you putting the brakes on? I'll just go. So, yeah. Will you guys just work, welcome Eric? glad you can see my backside to start this morning off. <laughs> Dang, Gabe, you put that paper clip on. All right. All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. It's so good to be here. It's been, it's been a few years and uh, fun to see some familiar faces and some new ones. And uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm excited for this transition. I'm excited for Brandon and Amy and the family to come in. And as you guys, most of you know, I'm a child of this house. I am a product of this place. And I'm very proud of that. I tell everyone in the world where I'm from. I tell them I'm from Trinity County, Weaverville. And they go, huh? I said, I know. It is the center of the universe. And so, no, honestly, it is a tremendous honor to be here when uh, Brandon asked me to, would you come up for for that Sunday? I said, absolutely. And so we had to get creative with the dates to make sure our church back home is covered well. But again, it's a real honor to be here. I'm excited to spend uh, this morning with you and have some food in the back. I miss the food after church. I asked Shannon, I said, you got to have food every day after church? Apparently not. What happened? What's wrong with you people? You've got a kitchen right there. So. No, it's wonderful. It really is wonderful to be here. My parents say hello. They send their love and their greetings. And um, they're down, obviously, in Reading. But um, Dad covered Bethel today so I could be up here. And my wife sends her love. She is torn in half about not being here, um, literally. She said, please tell them. And what had happened is her family kind of did an impromptu mini-family reunion today in Reading. And our house was the choice of where to host it. So she was like, I obviously she couldn't come up because she's hosting that. But uh, she does send her love. 
And so I, you guys say hi back to her. Okay. All right. And then just a quick family update uh, for those of you that remember our, our oldest daughter, Kennedy, just graduated high school last week. I know we're getting old, getting the gray hair and uh, loving it. And then our youngest daughter, she'll be graduating high school next year. So we are um, we are that season of life. We find ourselves by ourselves way more often. I think it's the Lord's way of getting you ready for the empty nest. That's my guess. So um, anyway, my family's doing well. And uh, Kennedy's actually uh, getting enrolled at Chasta College. She is intrigued by the dental hygiene program. Oh, I know. Four months ago, that wasn't even on the radar. But she got a job at a local dentist office, and all of a sudden, like, I like people's mouths. And I like, like, that is disgusting. And here's the child that would get grossed out about everything. And she's like, it doesn't, I'm like, it doesn't gross you out? She's like, no, I actually, I'm like, I don't know what happened to you, but bless you. So, and then Selah, she is, um, she is the one that's going to make us a lot of money in life. She is our retirement program. And uh, when she was five years old, we caught her on the couch um, talking about her future. She was five. And she was really mad. She was extremely upset that um, all her toys were made in China. She's five years old, and she's she on the couch having this little rant and grabbing all her toys and showing us the tag, made in China. Some were made in Thailand. She said Thailand. And she was really upset about that. And so like, Selah, what's, what's going on? And she's really mad, and she, she came up with this plan. And five years old, she said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put Redding on the map. I'm going to make stuff, and then I'm going to find famous people to wear it, and then people will buy it. And at the time, the most famous person in her life was my mom, her grandma, Benny. So she's like, and grandma Benny's going to wear my stuff, and the people are going to see her, and everybody's going to want to buy it. She's five years old. I looked at my wife. I said, that's our retirement plan right there. She's the one that's going to make us a lot of money. So, and she's always had that desire to make money. And I'm like, yes, make money. So, you know, my family's doing well. They send their love. And it'll be fun to come up here at some point to say hi again. And, uh, but honestly, this is a momentous day. I'm excited. We were just upstairs praying for a few minutes about today. I've been getting my heart ready for today. And, uh, you know, this room is special to a lot of us, but it's very special to me. I can think of three specific locations in this room where I've had some of my most distinct encounters with the Lord. And they were 15, 18 years ago. And um, probably my most, one of my most significant encounters with the Lord, I was sitting on the stage right there. And I'm doing worship. I'm like, I remember that spot. And I remember thinking I was going to die, literally, because the encounter of God was so strong. And so this place has, has a, a deep place in my heart. And, um, and so it's just a real honor to be here. It really is. I'm excited to speak into what's happening here. And, um, you know, whenever there's a transition, a lot of, there's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of stuff going on under the surface. And some of you are still trying to figure out what's going on. And others of you are just excited. There's just so much stuff going on. And, and today, I really, as I was praying into this service, I wanted to take some time and go through a passage of Scripture. I couldn't, I couldn't get off this passage of Scripture as I was getting ready for today. And so I feel like it's, um, it's a prophetic message, and what I mean by that is something that's already happened in Scripture. But sometimes what God will do, He'll breathe on a passage of Scripture and it becomes prophetic in nature. And I feel like this is a prophetic word for this church, for this house, and for Mountain Chapel, for where you are, where you've been, and where you're going. And so I want to speak to you as individuals. I want to speak to you as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. 
and I want to speak to you in the context of a corporate body. And so if you have your Bibles, and I have a limited amount of time, so I want to just jump right in if you'll allow me. Get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read, a, for many of you, a very familiar passage. It's um, at the moment Jesus calls a few of his disciples to follow him, specifically Simon, James, and John. And so if you go to Luke chapter 5, we're going to jump right in. I was also reflecting on a, on a crazy idea we had when this building was just built. And we thought, why don't we do an all-night lock-in for the high schoolers? And so we had over 200 kids. I don't know if anybody was here before. Anybody remember that crazy night? I don't know if you tried to forget it. But it was 200 high schoolers in this building all night locked in. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit like what we were not expecting that many kids to show up. We had a bounce house in here that took up half this room. We had like a three-on-three tournament, basketball hoop in here. And a lot of things broke that night. I do remember that. But I, what I do remember the most is uh, we gave an altar call. We talked, um, I talked to the young the high schoolers at the time. I said, God's not a boring God. If he's boring, then he's not the one I'm following. And share this message about he's not a boring God. And 75 kids gave their life to the Lord that night in this room, in this room. And so I'm just, I'm just reflecting on memories and uh, just, just want to just continue to put before you what the Lord has done in this room. And I know all of you could stand up here right now and share story after story of just what the Lord has done in your life. So in Luke chapter 5, let's read the story together. And then there's, a, there's actually... Um, it takes me about two or three weeks to teach on this specific story, but because of time today, I just want to pull out a few things that I feel like are prophetic in nature. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Are you there? So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Verse 6, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partner in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. But last verse. So when they have brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I've been doing a personal study on discipleship for probably the last six months. And this is one of the very, very um, most well-known stories when it comes to discipleship. But there's a lot of stuff going on in here. And I want to take a moment this morning to highlight a couple things in relation to Jesus and disciples. And I, I want to bring discipleship back up to the forefront for a number of reasons. One is, in some ways, we have, we have stopped talking about it, for one. 
we've kind of, um, in our day and age and culture, especially in postmodern culture and post-truth culture, Jesus is more of an add-on, an accessory to our life. He's not actually the one we're following. And so we tend to turn Jesus on when we need him. We open up an app to help us, and we don't actually look to Jesus to actually be the guiding direction of everything we do in life. And so I feel, this, I feel so compelled in today's culture to draw our attention back to what discipleship is all about. And unfortunately, and this is no one's fault, but discipleship has been more about how to become a good churchgoer, how to become a good small group person. And all of that's a part of it, but discipleship is much greater, much deeper, and much more real than that. I'm also intrigued by the fact that why would Jesus need disciples? I mean, we're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about the Christ. We're talking about God. Why in the world would God step down from his heavenly throne, take a place on earth, and ask at that moment 12 men to follow him? And in this moment, we have three of them, Peter, James, and John. Simon's name would eventually change to Peter at some point later. But why in the world would Jesus need disciples? There's a couple reasons. There's probably a lot more. But for now, the couple reasons I want to bring to our attention is because Jesus has a plan. He had the plan to bring kingdom to where? To earth. His plan is to bring the heaven, the reality of heaven, the goodness of God, the nature of God, the, the, the mindset of how the kingdom worked, the paradigm. His idea is for that to come to earth. And so in his own way, he couldn't do it by himself, which I find very intriguing. I mean, this is Jesus Christ. With one stroke, it could be done that way. But instead, he chose to gather 12 men. And some of them were the most uneducated men of the day. In fact, a lot of them were. There's a couple of them that were educated and came from a high-class society. But a majority of them, as we find out in the book of Acts, were uneducated. But everybody knew they had been with Jesus. That's the kind of disciple I want to be. There's nothing wrong with being educated. But you want to be known as someone, oh, that guy or that girl was with Jesus. And that's our, that, is, that is, I think, is the peak, the pinnacle of being a disciple. When people look at you and go... Dang, they were with Jesus. And that, that's, what, that's what we're all aspiring to. So why in the world would Jesus need disciples? Well, he needed someone to help accomplish the task. And that was for the kingdom to come. He had to gather one. And Jesus, we don't often talk about Jesus as the most phenomenal leader. We actually talk about Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as a revolutionary, as the guy that broke all the rules. But we often overlook the reality that Jesus was one of the, if not the most phenomenal leader to ever walk to the face of the earth. Why do I say that? Because how often do you run into a leader that when that leader leaves, whatever they did actually explodes after they've left? It's hard to find an organization, a, a group, a ministry, a business, any form of leadership And when someone found something and starts a momentum, starts a movement, it's hard to find that when that leader removes themselves from that situation, that that business, that church, that ministry, that momentum actually explodes once they leave. You don't find that very often. In fact, it's more rare than not. Church history and human history has proven that we haven't quite got the leadership thing down yet. So I'm convinced if you want to be a good leader, then become a beautiful disciple, and then you'll know how to be be a good leader of people. It is in that very motion of following Jesus that that you'll be, I don't know if allowed is the right word, but it will give you the capacity to lead people well. So here Jesus, he ascends back to the Father, and from that moment we have an absolute explosion of the kingdom on earth. 
an absolute explosion of a momentum, a movement. You and I are here today simply because 12 men, one of them didn't work out well. 11 of them did really well, and they replaced the 12th guy. But the point is, a group of men, because of what Jesus imparted into them in three years' time, you and I are sitting in a church in 2018 in Weaverville, California, simply because of how Jesus led people, and it exploded into today. What's fascinating about disciples as well is Jesus actually needs the body. Do you know that every head needs a body? Like right now, if you didn't have a head, you'd be stuck here the rest of our life. And if you only had a head, you would be stuck here the rest of your life. Now, your head may think, soon as as we're all done with everything we do today, we eat our food, and your head says, okay, now it's time to go get my car and go home. You won't be going anywhere. Why? Because every head needs a body. And in Scripture, it talks about how Jesus is the head. He is the head of the body. So Jesus actually needs the body to carry out what the head wants to do. So it's important to understand that when we are following Jesus, it is not unto our Wishes, our liking. Now, this is not a value commentary. This is not a you become nothing. We have mistaken the nothing portion of John the Baptist. That's for another time and another message. But today, I want you to understand that Jesus is ultimately the head, and the body always needs the head. So here we are. We have a story in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus shows up, and the short version of the story is a multitude, which if you study the word multitude, it really means a lot of people. And in this case, Jesus is actually, if you understand the passage, Jesus has had such a crowd around him that he is getting pushed into the water. Therefore, he needs a boat. So he looks over, and we know the context of the story, these particular men, Simon, James, and John, and their business partner. There were other boats and other men involved. They have been fishing all night long. How many have ever been fishing and caught nothing? And then when was the next time you went fishing? Some of you still haven't gone fishing again. And that was like 20 years ago. You're like, ah, I'm good. I'm, I'll just go buy the fish in the store. But here, the, these guys have been fishing all night long and caught nothing. And now, the pastor said they were, they were washing their nets. Other translations say they were mending their nets. So you can look at it in two different ways. It's actually the same, washing and mending. What would they mean? Whenever they were done fishing in that tradition, they would actually, at the end of it, they would wash and mend their net for the longevity of it. So what's the point? I love how Jesus, he looks over and he says, Simon, can I borrow a boat? Simon says, sure. So Jesus, Simon pushes Jesus out a little bit from the shore, and now he has a vantage point to speak to the multitude. But how many understand that Jesus knew that they were washing and mending their net? The scriptures say it. Jesus looked at it, and it was obvious. Why is that a big deal? Because what we have to understand is the disciples have been fishing all night, and they were wrapping up their job and getting ready to head home. Now, if I were Jesus, I would be thinking a little bit more efficiently than him. Hey, guys, before you pack up your stuff, go fish again. But Jesus decides to not do that. He decides to say, ah, I'll let them finish all their options. I'll let them finish what they plan on doing and wait till they literally are packing up and they're leaving. Then I'll instruct them. What is Jesus doing? He's trying to find out, are they really going to follow him? Isn't it amazing that in life for us as disciples, we actually get to the end of our options, and then God shows up? And we're like, God, it would have been great if you showed up back here, but instead he chose to show up after you were done. It's amazing that when you and I are done, we have an option to make, are we done done, or are we only done with our way? So discipleship at the end of the day is really like, are you, when are you done? Are you done when your plans are done? Or are you done when he says we're done? 
And oftentimes, a lot of us have put a lot of energy. We all have stories that are still unfulfilled. We're still washing and mending our net. We're still, we're still going out. We've been up all night for 30 years waiting. And I don't understand why Jesus does this. I think one of the reasons is primarily he wants to find out, will you actually follow him when you're done? So the story continues. So Jesus preaches the message. He waits till they're done. And then he eventually, as the guys are getting ready to pack up and head out, he says, hey, guys, go fishing one more time. And Simon, remember, this is pre-discipleship. This is actually before we know Peter as Peter. Peter is one of the most well-known disciples. He actually becomes the main voice piece, mouthpiece for the early church. Jesus actually said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, on the rock. So Peter, we know Peter, what he's about to become, but this is pre-that. This is way before that. And he tells Peter, cast your net out in the deep. Now, the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, is about eight miles wide, eight miles wide, 13 miles long. The deepest point in this particular body of water is about 140-ish feet deep. So you've got to go out a way. This isn't just a little push off the shore. You have to actually go out a little ways to get there. So to, to relaunch is a process. To, to do what you've just been doing and nothing happened is an internal process. And I love Peter. This is actually pre-disciple. This is pre-him saying yes to following Jesus. He says, Master, we have toiled all night long. What's fascinating to me, the word master, he uses the word master prior to being a disciple. I don't want to unpack this too much because of time, but I want to get to the very end, which is my main point for this morning. Peter called Jesus master. Another way to look at it is teacher, rabbi. There was already a respect, if I can say that, already a respect for who Jesus was. And Peter recognized that this guy is different. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's the one that everybody's been talking about. This is the, this is the guy that has sat in the temples and taught the scholars when Jesus never went to school. This is the guy that broke all the religious rules of the day. Jesus was definitely becoming a household name, and it was only going to get even more. So Peter already had some sense of who this man was. And he says, Master, we have toiled all night. However, at your word, I will do it. One of the key things to being a disciple is to actually follow Jesus. And we'll get back to the end. So you guys know the story. They launch out into the deep. They cast their nets. And they can't even pull in the net. You know it's when God's abundance is when your own capacity can't handle it. I had a friend who ran a farm up in Alturas area, Modoc area. And he, um, he was a, um, a farmer for high-grade alfalfa. And the alfalfa that he... Um, not raised, grew, he was a grower. But the, not that kind of grower that you're thinking about. Talking about a alfalfa grower. You can only say that in Trinity County and Humboldt County and Mendocino. Awkward chuckle right there. You grow high-grade alfalfa, and the kind that he um, grew actually fed a lot of the racing horses on the West Coast. So he, he was actually a sought-after buyer. And they were about 500-acre ranch up there. And he invited my wife and I and our daughters to come up for a night to hang out with him and his family. We happen to be close friends. And so we drive up there. You know, it's a few-hour drive, as most of you know where that's at. And we pull in. It's a beautiful 500-acre ranch. The sun was setting. I mean, it was just awesome. It was beautiful. And so we pull up to the house, and uh, his wife comes down, and the kids come out. 
But he's not there. He's out in the fields working because it's during the first harvest. They have two harvests a year during the first harvest. And so we're, we're just small talking, getting so we brought our bags in, we're finding a room. And then he comes in off the field and he had just covered, I mean, he'd been working nonstop for days and weeks, just harvesting and working the field. And he is just filthy. He comes in and, and I, I said, how are you doing? He's like, I'm exhausted. We have had, we, we have had more alfalfa harvest than we've ever had before. And he's talking about how, how hard it's been and how much work it actually is to harvest the abundant. And it got a revelation that moment. Sometimes a poverty mindset towards abundance, it, it is a means to an end. We think, oh, I don't have to work as much if God just shows up in my life. It's a mistaken understanding. It is not a mature understanding of abundance. True abundance means you're about to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. It will be so much work that your own net, your own capacity will start to break. So keep that in mind that when you're experiencing more than you can handle, there's a really good potential for the Lord. It's actually Him involved in your life, breaking your capacity. So as their nets are breaking, Peter yells out to the business partner. They come rolling in with their boats, and they're trying to lift up the net. And they said, the pastor said, their boats began to sink. You know when the Lord's really on your life is when not your only capacity is breaking, but your friend's capacities are breaking as well. That's a good day. How many wouldn't mind that? Some of you are nervous to raise your hand because you're like, I'm not sure if I can handle that. But that's the Lord's abundance is when you and all your friends' capacities, you begin to sink because the abundance of the Lord. What I love about this moment is Peter rushes into land. He rushes into land and he falls at Jesus' knees and repents. The beauty of repentance, realizing that for a moment he actually sinned. Now it's crazy to me, he didn't, he didn't commit adultery. He didn't commit some of the crazy sins that we all think of. He actually doubted the Lord in that moment. In him, that was a trigger enough to realize, I have to repent. So one of the things I'm learning about discipleship is you don't repent when you do something horrible. You repent when your heart's not right. There's something beautiful about that that I want to instill back in us today. There's something about the purity, the innocence, the simplicity of repentance. And if you have, should I repent? If those kind of thoughts are going through your head, drop to your knees and just repent. When you have to justify your action, "Ah, I didn't really mean that. To get out of repentance, then guess what? You're really not following Jesus. Because the simplicity, the innocence, and the purity of simple repentance, there's something beautiful about that. In today's culture, we're trying so hard to not repent because we don't like to admit when we're wrong. So I want to challenge you today. There's something about discipleship that Peter, he simply doubted because of fish. And in that moment, he repents. And then the story moves on, which is what I want to highlight the most for right now. The story moves on, and Jesus makes this comment. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then the last verse in verse 11, let's read it one more time. And then we're going to jump over to John chapter 6. So when they brought their boat to land, they forsook all and followed him. If you want to turn your Bible to John chapter 6, we're going to reference a quick passage there. A leader can take people where they know they can go. A good leader can take people they didn't know was possible. 
One of the challenges of discipleship, one of the challenges of leading is this dynamic right here. And this is the part that I want to challenge you of the church or the house. Most of you know the rich history here. Most of you know the, the deep thing the Lord had been doing in this house, the fruits from it. I can remember I was, just, I was reflecting on a word that Judy Derryberry gave. This was years ago. She saw this picture of the, the Oak Ridge Road was lined with people on crutches, cots, people that were dying, that were broken. Marriages were just destroyed. Their lives were blown up. And that hill, that road was lined with people that were coming to get healed. And I know that's happened to a measure for sure. Some of us are in this room because we were that person on that road. But I want to put in you, I want to put a fire in you. There's a lot more about to happen. And there's something about a leader that if I know where you can go, I can get you there. The challenge for the leader is where you don't think it's possible. My challenge as a leader is to help you see it's actually possible. And that was the challenge Moses had. Moses had the challenge of taking a nation into a land they did not know was possible. He could get them out of Egypt. Why? Because they all wanted out of Egypt. But once they hit the promised land, that's a whole other conversation of leadership. That's a whole other conversation of commitment and devotion. So Jesus says, will you follow me? And Peter says, I forsook all to follow him. In John chapter 6 Let's read, I'm in verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Let's pause right there. This is what we all call the most offensive message ever given. You cannot find a more offensive teaching in the Bible than this one. There's some other ones in there that are quite offensive, but this one right here beats them all. I don't know if Jesus got up that morning and he thought, I wonder who's really following me. So I'm going to teach the most offensive teaching ever taught, and I'll find out. And the context is there is a multitude. There is a massive crowd. There is a movement. There's thousands and thousands of people standing there listening to Jesus. And Jesus decided to post on Facebook that day. If you really want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, it's easy for us to understand this context. Why? Because we have communion. We see, the, we see from the beginning and end of Scripture, the bread represents the body, the juice or the wine represents the blood, and we understand it to at least to some degree. And when we read this, like, oh, yeah, Jesus was talking about communion. It would have been helpful if Jesus made a reference to communion, but he did not make any reference to communion. He simply said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the result of that message was everybody left. Everybody that was there was like, well, this has been fun, but I think I'm going to get off the train now. This has been a wild ride, but I am now done. And so everyone leaves, and the disciples are the only ones remaining. And Jesus looks at them and says, are you guys going to go too? Here's the test of discipleship, and here's the test of leadership right here. Are you going to go too? And Peter, who I, we all love Peter, he's always going to grab the mic first and always got something to say. How many Peters do we have in the room? Some of you want to raise someone's hand and say, yep, that's you. But Peter's that guy. And Peter, he says, I have nowhere to go. Which means what? He would have left. He would have actually left if he had somewhere to go. But he didn't have nowhere to go. Why? Because in Luke chapter 5, he forsook all. 
to truly follow Jesus is not forsake some, forsake part, it's to forsake all. There has to be this abandonment to say yes to Jesus. Not just to the emotional part of our life, not just to the spiritual part of our life. Every aspect of our life has to be forsaken to follow Jesus. And so because Peter forsook all in Luke chapter 5, he's standing in a moment of decision. He says, I have nowhere to go because in Luke 5 I said I forsook all. A true test of discipleship. Now thank God there are different depths of discipleship. Some of us are only following Jesus according to our understanding. And Peter says to Jesus, I, would have, I have nowhere to go. But every time you talk, there's life. What was Peter saying? I don't have a clue what that message is about. I have no idea what you mean by eat my flesh and drink my blood. It makes no logical, spiritual sense to me. In fact, it freaks me out. And so do the 15, 20,000 people that just left. But when you talk, Jesus, there's life. I hear you beyond my understanding. There's something about discipleship and saying yes to Jesus and saying yes to leadership. I don't understand what you just said. I don't understand your message. But there's something about what you're saying right now that I'm going to follow. And I want to challenge you today. Will you go beyond your understanding? Now, I'm thankful that that's not the only way to follow Jesus. Because we find out later, after Jesus dies, he raises from the grave. And there's one disciple in particular that does not believe Jesus is still alive. Who's he? Thomas. Thomas. I'm so glad there's the Thomas in Scripture, because that means there's a lot of grace for following Jesus. So Jesus appears to Thomas and says, Thomas, look, do you believe? And shows him the scars on his wrists, his feet, and on his side. And Thomas says, now I believe. So there is a part of discipleship that I can't go beyond my understanding, and Jesus has enough grace to accommodate that. But I want to tell you right now, who's more known in Scripture, Peter or Thomas? Who did they write about after Jesus died and rose from the grave and went to heaven? You don't hear about Thomas very often. You hear all about Peter. You hear all about Paul. Why? Because they forsook all. I listened to a message recently from T.D. Jakes. And somebody asked him, he's one of the most, he's one of the most phenomenal men to live in our day. And somebody asked him about the price that he's had to pay for, for what the, how the Lord has used him. You know, the really the big interview around his ministry of life and the price he's paid, the cost he had to count. And incredible, it's an hour and a half interview, but this one question was, how much did it cost? Like, what, what, what did you have to pay for, for what, how the Lord's used you? And if you know T.D. Jakes, he's, he gets that look. He gets that look and he kind of looks at you from the side and he squints his eyes and his voice gets a little lower. And he goes like this, he goes, I can't, I can't mimic it, it would be embarrassing. But he says this, simply everything. I want to challenge you, Mountain Chapel. You have to forsake all to say yes to Jesus. There is a laying down of everything to say yes to him. And I want to challenge you, can you say yes beyond what you comprehend and what you understand? Can you say yes beyond that? So that is my prayer, that is my charge as individuals as you say yes to Jesus, and it's my charge to the house as well, as we are in a season of transition of, a, of an amazing leadership, and we're handing it to another amazing leadership. 
And we are very excited about what's happening right now and what's happening from here moving forward. Every generation of leadership sets the stage for the next one. And I believe wholeheartedly that what's being set in place is the stage to take you places you didn't know was possible. And one of the greatest challenges for this house is to actually, I wouldn't say not believe it, because I know all of you believe it, but it's to forsake all, all over again. Yesterday's forsaking all got you to today, but today's forsaking all will get you to tomorrow. Following Jesus is not a decision I made yesterday or a decision I made 20 years ago. It's a daily decision of forsaking all. So my challenge to you is will you forsake all again to say yes to the cause of Christ? Will you say yes again? I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to hand it to Brandon. He's got a few things that he wants to share. So why don't you just put your hands out in front of you. You can stay seated if you'd like. And I just want to, I just want to pray a, a prayer of charge. I feel like I just came up here today to celebrate this moment, but to also give a charge, to give a charge to every person in this room. Father, we, we sit here before you as believers, as disciples that have said yes to you. And today we say we forsake all, all over again. We give you permission to take us places we didn't know was possible. Take us places that are beyond our comprehension and beyond our understanding. We give you permission to take us into uncharted territory. And Father, we know that there are, we are in a Psalm 126 moment. Psalm 126 specifies the first half is celebrating what the Lord had done. We're celebrating the victory, the breakthrough, all the things that He has done. We've got books full of stories. But the second half of Psalm 26 says, but there are still people stuck in captivity. There's still room for more breakthrough. And so, Father, we stand here celebrating what's been done, our history, our stories, personally and as a family. But now we cry out for Psalm 20, 26, verses 4, 5, and 6. God, there's still people that need breakthrough. Let this be a house where liberty is. Let this be a house where freedom reigns. Let this be a house where Jesus, the Messiah, can come and save people. And so, Father, I pray for a Psalm 126 posture in our heart today, that we forsake all to see this city, to see this county, come to know who you are. Put your hand on your neighbor. And Father, mess them up more than you're going to mess me up. Make sure that person gets absolutely ruined in the daytime and in the nighttime. We pray that the Holy Spirit would encounter them and rearrange everything about them. And whatever they thought was the direction, that you would actually rearrange that. And that we would be like Peter, James, and John in this moment of forsaking all. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Why don't you uh, welcome Brandon as he comes to share some stuff with you as well. Such a good word, huh? Is that a good word? 
Yea, God. Yea, God. Come on. <laughs> uh, I, I determined not to, not to teach or preach today. I just want to say a few words. Um, and uh, such a great word. Oh, isn't it? I tell you, what Eric just, what Eric just preached. Uh, oh, that's been burning in my heart for a while. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Come on. And it really is all about him, isn't it? And uh, that's really what I want to say. You know what? I want to, I want to thank some people. Um, I, I, want to, I want to thank Holy Spirit. Um, I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence today. Oh, oh I want to thank. Uh, <laughs> are you thankful for God and for his love for us? I'm so thankful that these are the days of a great awakening on planet Earth. I'm so thankful that we're not waiting for God to move, but God is moving all over the planet. And anybody who says yes to him is in. And we do say yes, don't we, Mountain Chapel? And, um, oh, I'm, I'm a mess too now. I plan to stay that way. Um, uh, how many... How many love Jesus, it's, could you know, truly say, how many love Jesus more today than you ever have before? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so thankful for the grace of God and for his spirit that lives inside of us. And he does that work, doesn't he? And I'm thinking, you know what? It's amazing. Twenty something years later, and I'm more a mess today than I was that day. And I surrendered then. But, oh, man, he is so good. And, uh, and we do say yes today. It's so true. Yesterday's yes was good, but today we say yes. And, uh, we call that love, don't we? That's what love is. And, um, but I want to say a few things. I want to say thank you. Um, I want to say thank you, Mountain Chapel, um, for welcoming us immediately with such love. And I'll tell you that... Uh, Amy, the kids and I, we, we feel so welcomed and so loved and so celebrated already leading up to this day. And we felt embraced from the first day we visited. And um, that says a lot about this church and, and who you are. We know, we know the reputation, but we've experienced it ourselves now. And, and um, already we feel the uh, anticipation, the excitement. It's not just... It's not just Height, but it's a genuine hunger and a, and, and, a, and a desire and an excitement for what the Lord has. And um, how many know he's never done? Amen. There's always more. And, and um, how much of him that we can have has nothing to do with how much we've experienced, but only whether or not we're still hungry. And I'm hungry. And, um, <laughs> and uh, okay, I'm having trouble saying what I want to say. Um, but I do want to say that, but um, uh, two years ago, God began to stir my heart, and it just, you know how the Lord does it, and uh, when he prepares you for transition in your life, we've been in Reading for 17 years, and we moved there, we thought we'd be there for two years, when we did, we came for BSSM as students, we looked at Bethel, we said, this place is so amazing, they sure don't need us, God's going to take us somewhere th- where we're needed. And God had another plan and, and Reading became our home and 
Bethel Church became our home. And, um, and I'm thankful. Thank you for coming, Eric and, and Gabe. And I know I can't name everybody, but I do want to point out Mark Brooks over there. Mark, would you stand? Uh, uh, I don't know how many of you know Mark. Uh, quite a few in this room, but quite a few probably don't. One of the best kept secrets of the kingdom. It's the truth. The fathers and the mentors, the fathers, the mothers in your life, you, you, you'll never become who you're meant to be without them because it's part of God's plan for you. And that man there, I wouldn't be who I am today without him. And there's a list, but I tell you, Mark, I want to thank you so much. And, and uh, you know, the friendship, the, the connection, the relationship continues, but uh, uh his name is Mark because God marks lives around him. And, um, and I want to thank you for coming today. He's an incredible man. And, um, and so eight years I've had the privilege to work for best boss in the world. And um, so we, we felt the stir. And uh, th- this last year it just began to increase. And, um, you know, how many have been dreaming? How many have had dreams in the night lately? And, in this last season. Well, we entered into a season of dreaming, and uh, which often happens for me in different seasons. Uh, dreams in the night increase. I had a series of dreams and experiences with God where he was preparing us for this transition. And uh, one of them, you know, I was reminded of it when Eric was preaching this morning about what it means to follow Jesus. I, I woke one morning. I posted this a little while ago. And I woke one morning, and you know when you're in that place between sleep and awake, where God often meets you. And um, and it was in that place where I was I was still waking up, and I was in the middle there, and I heard the the voice of God in my spirit so strongly that it was like almost audible, echoing inside of me. And it was it was a, it was a simple statement. He said, "Peace comes when you surrender to God's design." And uh, it was it was powerful. I needed to hear it because part of the part of the nest stirring and the and the uh, the the wrestling that begins sometimes when a when a season is changing, it helped me to go. Oh, you know the fact is we all have our preferences, but it doesn't matter what our preferences are. It matters what God is saying and what God is doing, and and what He's doing is full of life and peace comes when we surrender to that. And that takes a lot of trust and. Um, you know, one of the, another dream that I had was uh, Danny Silk. How many heard of him? He was a, a pastor here, um, and uh, had a dream. I was sitting in front of Danny's desk, and I won't tell you all the dream for the sake of time. But I, sh- I, um, Danny said something to me. He said, "Are you ready?" And I said, "Yes." We've been counting the cost, and um, and he just nodded. And I, I woke from that dream realizing. I have been, actually. I didn't realize I'd been doing that, but I'd been asking, I'd been talking to the Lord what it would mean to make a transition, and and if that's what he was calling us to do. And and um, and uh, I told Danny the dream. This was back in September. I told Danny the dream, and Danny says, <laughs> it's funny how the Lord speaks, Danny says, uh, oh, it's interesting, because after you shared the dream, I thought you were going to say, I wonder if Amy and I aren't called to pastor a church. And I thought, it wasn't even in my mind. But there was something, of you know, the sound, the ring of the word of the Lord. And I thought, there's something to that. And I remembered that last summer, 
when I was in Utah ministering at a Spanish-speaking church, Nubia, the pastor's wife, she's very prophetic, and she asked me, do you think you'll ever pastor a church? And I said, you know, for years I thought, would we plant, would we pastor? And to be honest, I've laid all those things down before the Lord so completely, so many times, that finally it was complete. And I just don't really think about it much anymore. And I just always think I wouldn't want to do, I don't want to do anything if it's not God's idea. Isn't that the truth? I mean, I don't want to do anything if it's not God's idea. And, and um, she she goes, oh, and I kept talking then to her husband, the pastor, and she speaks up again and she says, uh, well, the reason I asked is because I heard the Lord say that when you're ready, he's ready. <laughs> and it hit me like an arrow in the chest. And, and I it just, it like, it sent me upward like right there in that moment. I'm sitting on their couch in their home. And it just sent me upward in an inward conversation with God. And I went, oh, that's a game changer. I thought I was waiting on you. How long have you been waiting on me? I don't know. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> I don't know how long you've been waiting, but if you're ready, I'm ready. And, um, and so um, by November, this opportunity began to stir. And um, by February, we'd been formally invited and given an official yes. We, we accepted the invitation to come. And so, Mountain Chapel, I want to thank you for inviting us. Um, we feel such a wave of support, and we are humbled and thankful. I want to thank all the guests. Uh, there, you know, more than guests, but my, my friends. Everyone here today, um, just so you know, we, we invited Mountain Chapel. We, we invited some people up, but... Um, None of it was a public announcement. It was it was personal invites, whether they were mentors, people that we ran with. There's a ton of my BSSM pastoral team over there. Thank you guys so much for coming. We've run together some for years, more years than others. And um, a lot of history there. Love you guys so much. And I, I would uh, I would fail for sure if I tried to mention names. But um people that uh, they're just students so just so you know everyone here is family to us and um and we're thankful for this new family to uh to journey with mountain chapel to see what the lord has uh in the years to come i want to honor cameron and we'll do this um much more completely in uh in uh, times to come but um i really want to honor cameron and shannon for the last 10 years and yeah come on and um Yeah, amen. Come on. I, uh, you know, Cameron has, uh, you know, they've been here for 10 years and time before that, you know, lots of serving, lots of youth pastoring, lots of years of uh, investment in the kingdom and no doubt much fruit. And um, you can see the fruit here, you know, as we sat down and I want to say Cameron's just been really easy and such a such a joy to uh, in this transition, meeting together, talking together. 
as well, just excited to see how uh, Mountain Chapel's positioned because because of the leadership and, and uh, the decisions that were made, the things that were built. And um, we're really blessed because of that. One of the things I say often is I can always tell somebody who's never led anything because they still know everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, you got, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, I just honor you guys. Thank you so much. And, um, and, um, There's a lot to be said for the future, but, uh, you know, years ago, I had a, a vision myself of an outpouring, a great flood of the presence. And it's not something we're prophesying about the future. We're living in it. And um, and uh, but it was 20 years ago and I saw a great flood and uh, it was coming. There was a great harvest, a great catch. And all the people were caught up in these waters and. And shortly after that, I was praying in my house and the Lord spoke to me. And it was in reference to Eric's message this morning. And he said, way back then, 20 years ago, the Lord just spoke almost audibly again to me. And he said, I'm mending the nets of my people. And I knew that in that in that time, God was getting his people ready, his his church, his global bride for this great, this great harvest. And um, and, uh, you know, we're much farther along in the move of God today than we were 20 years ago. And um, and so, yay, God. So can we just uh, let's stand together really quick. There's a lot of time to to preach and teach and spend time in the presence. But today, let's just look to him. And and uh, can we just agree together? We just say, Holy Spirit, have your way. God, do whatever you want to do. I thank you for Weaverville. I thank you that this is a place where people come to encounter you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. All right. Brandon, will you just, just stay up here? And, and Amy and family, if you guys will come up. and We're getting to the end of this, this time. We want to... We want to pray for them, and um, I, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about kind of what to how how to do this, and, and we're going to invite some more of the team and stuff to come and just kind of pray over. But um, as people get given, uh, you know, like sometimes the the mayor gives the the key to the city, or you know, God had you know the keys. Jesus has the keys of the kingdom, and and keys uh, keys represent. Um, both, both practically and, and prophetically, they, they represent authority. And so actually, um, I, I pulled my keys out. And um, these are my church keys that I've carried. I think they're the second set because I think I lost the first set. <laughs> but I know I've had these for as long as I can remember. Um, and, I, and I felt like uh, just practically because you start work tomorrow. Um, <laughs> But also prophetically, prophetically, um, yeah, uh, prophetically, these are, these are the, the keys to the church that I called my church for so long. And, uh, cheers now.
So, um, yeah, will the, will the elders and, and Eric come up and you guys step forward and kind of step in the middle here and elders and the team and Gabe, will you come up too? And yeah, Mark, come, come. And I, I know that there's a whole bunch more people that, <laughs> that are doing this, um, in a time like this, you end up with more people in the front than you have in the seats. And so just um, just everybody, please just extend your hands. And um, I feel like there's a there's a um, we've, we've talked about it a couple times, but there's just a real um, significance to to Eric being here, laying on hands and and installing uh, Brandon as 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 a the leader of, of Bethel Church, and then, and then me as well um, as the, the leader of Mount Chapel. Kind of this this team thing, and and I love that we don't all know all of what God, you know, we don't we see the kingdom in part, but but there is something significant and special to to this moment. And so, Lord, we just we join with you and confirm what we've seen in your heart that uh, that Brandon is the man to lead this church. We thank you for the family that he brings with him. And that as he stands up as the senior pastor, we know that his family stands with him. And we just pray a blessing on this season. All of the, the authority, as light as we can, we rest on his shoulders. <laughs> We, we, we pass the mantle. I pass the mantle of leadership that was passed to me. I pass it to him. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, Father, we thank you for uh, this momentous day of what's taking place. We all stand in here in agreement, full support of what you're doing. Even think we don't see or know what's ahead. We say yes and amen to what you're doing right now. And I just pray for just the act chapter 2 and beyond. They were in one accord, one heart, and one mind. And I just pray for the, the posture that the early church took in one heart, one mind, and one accord would rest on this house and I pray for Brandon and Amy and the family that this would be a seamless transition emotionally, spiritually, and in the natural. That this would just be an easy move. And what would take five years to accomplish, they would hit the ground running. And I just pray for the church family right now. Their father just get their hearts even more ready for what you're bringing to them in this season. That there would be a sense of running together a sense of picking targets and goals and saying, we're going to go after those mountains. We're going to go after those targets. And so, Father, I do pray for a blessing to rest on this family and this church family to be one accord, one heart, and one mind. So we bless you. Lord, we, we thank you that your, your fire falls on sacrifice. And Weaverville has, has paid a price to say yes to you. And Brandon and the Rice family have said yes to you. 
And I just see the, the fire of God falling on this sacrifice. I see the glory filling the house. I see the streets running with the glory of the Lord. And it's flooding over. And I see the wells of the ancient times of the apostolic. I, I see them rising to the top. And the wells being uncapped. And the apostolic foundations of this house coming to new levels and new reaches. It's, it's far reaching to the nations. It's far reaching to the, the businesses of this community. It's far reaching to the people who sit in the chairs each week. Lord, the families in this church will dream the dreams of God. And they'll have a leader that will lead them to places they never ever thought they could ever reach. And Lord, we thank you that you handpicked a couple and a family. And you placed them here. And this is a day where, where history is being written and history is being made. And Lord, we know as we pray to the God, our lover, that you have things in store in mind that is far beyond that we could even dream of. And we bless what you're doing in this day. And we are excited. We say yes to it. And we agree to it. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you for, uh, for the past because of our connection to Bethel and uh, for the present and for the future because um, we serve the one who was and who is and who is to come. And Lord, I just would pray that the eyes of Brendan and Amy's heart would be opened to see what, what you have, what um, the paths that we're going to follow, um, because what you show them. And I just pray for the, uh, the oneness of all of Mountain Chapel to be on board and behind and supporting what they're doing because they seek God. In Jesus' name. And with great anticipation, in one voice, they said, Amen. Amen. So I'll end with this. That, uh, as we commission him, I'm commissioning you to, to pray. That this isn't just the, a one-time deal. That we're commissioning as, as his friends, as his family, as his church. To, to surround this family with prayer. And to intercede every day, every morning in your prayer time. Remember them. Prophesy to their, their, uh, their future. And I talked about last week that, that their success is our success. And so just, just commit your heart, commit your mind to, to every time they come into mind. Pray for, pray for victory in this place.